reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And I want to tag this message, How to Pray Like Paul. Anybody here want to pray like an apostle? I do. How to Pray Like Paul. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's Word. How to pray like Paul. I want us to talk about prayer this morning. It's been said that prayer needs no passport or visa or work permit. There's no such thing as a closed country as far as prayer is concerned. The greatest lack today is not people or funds. The greatest need is prayer. For prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And, and the point of prayer is not to get more stuff from God. It's to get more God. And I think that's what we'll see as we look at these verses. Verses which start with God and end with God. They start with God. You see that? And it is my prayer. That starts with God. And then they end with God. You see that? To the glory and praise of God. Yeah. And this prayer that Paul prays for the Philippians comes from just a heart of love for these people. And you can see that in verse 8 when he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. The affection. What did we say that word was last week? Splanknon. Spleen. Your, your, this is your inner seed of your organs. And, and that's how deeply Paul feels about these people. These brothers and sisters in Christ. This church. With, and notice he says... He, say, he doesn't say, I yearn for you with all of the affection of Paul. He says, all the affection of Christ. Why would he say that? Because I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So Paul's body is possessed by King Jesus who is loving the Philippians with his heart. Man, I want that. And so when you have that kind of heart Splank non feeling for people, it's going to direct how you pray for them. Amen. It's going to inform your prayer life. 
And so as I look at these scriptures this morning, I, I want us to consider this question. What are some prayers that we need to be making for one another? How do these three verses inform us as to how we need to be remembering one another before the Lord? Yes, we want to pray for all of the requests that you're going to write on your cards and, and, and send in to us or text us or, or put on your app and, and let us know. We want to know all of that. And, and, and there's more. There's more. And Paul gives us uh, some rich content that we can be praying for one another as brothers and sisters in this spiritual community. Here's what we're going to see in these verses. We're going to see that God wants us as a church, as a congregation, to possess an ever-expanding capacity to love. An ever-expanding capacity to love. He wants our love to be integrated with an ever-deepening degree of wisdom out of which might flow an ever-active life of righteousness all to the everlasting glory and praise of God. That's what we read here. So, so let's tighten that up a little bit to a big, some, some big idea language. Here it is. Paul says to the Philippians, I pray, I'm praying. This is what I'm praying about. You want to know what I'm praying about? I'm praying this. I am praying that our gracious heavenly Father, that, that, that I'm praying for him that you might have a loving life blended with a discerning life resulting in a righteous life leading to a God-glorifying life. That's what verses 9 through 11 say. It's actually one long sentence is there anybody here who does not need that prayer answered in their life loving life discerning life righteous life god glorifying life that's it, it it's on your outlines i've got it you know broken into four pieces but you, you they're irreducible you you they all intertwine together okay Loving life, discerning life, righteous life, God-glorifying life. So let's just walk through each of these aspects, beginning with verse 9. A loving life that abounds. You see that? I, and this I pray, Paul says, and this I pray, that your love abound still more and more. Circle that word abound. It's a, it's a very common word in the New Testament. It shows up 39 times. And Paul uses it 26 times. So it's one of his favorite words. It's actually a word that describes life in the realm of Jesus. Abounding, abounding, expanding, growing, overflowing, increasing, cascading. That's what it is. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you might have it abundantly. And Paul, Paul echoes that when he uses this word abounding. He uses the word in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you abound in this act of financial generosity. 
So this abounding language just dominates the people of God. We are people of the new age. God has not rescued us to limit our capacity. No, no, he's transformed us so that we might be abounding people. Abounding such that we have no more room. There's no more closet space. There's no more shelf space. To abound means there's there's no room for anything else. Why? Because we're abounding, that's why. And for Paul, it's not simply enough to say abounding. Do you see that? He says abounding still more and more. So Paul is praying for, I mean, he's praying for this abounding ice cream sundae that has fudge on top of fudge on top of fudge on top of fudge. I don't know where that image came from. We, we had the grandkids over last night, and they had that, and wow, talk about a sugar high. Abounding. Abounding. Paul, Paul is praying for an inexhaustible capacity to abound. But what is it that's abounding? Look at the text. What is it that's abounding? What's taking up all this bandwidth in my life? What's it say? Love. Right? Love. And my prayer is that your love may abound more and more. So Paul cries out, I am praying to God on your behalf that that out of his generosity and graciousness that he would cause his love, that's the word agape, agape, to abound in your life. I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to work through you an agape, and that means that you are loving who or what is not naturally lovable. Okay? I'm talking about your enemies. I'm talking about criminals. I'm talking about lepers. I'm talking about the difficult, the sulky, the superior, and the sneering. Those are adjectives, uh, those are descriptors by C.S. Lewis. What is not naturally lovable. Love, love that seeks the interests of others more than self. Love that is empty of self-glory. Love. Love that Paul will talk about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You see what he's doing here? Paul's teasing us in these opening verses about what is to follow in the letter. And Paul says, I want God's love to abound in your life still more and more, still more and more, still more and more. Just when you think that you're just all topped off with God's love, Paul says, oh no, there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. When I go to the coffee shop and I order, you know, my favorite roast of coffee, I'll hear the barista ask, do you want room for cream? And if I'm feeling, you know, like, if I'm feeling decadent on that day, I'll say, sure, sure, yeah, I'll take some, yeah. And then they leave some room. Then I go to the half and half station, and I've got the sugar, and, 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 and they put the half and half in. And, you know, I, I just invariably, it's almost habit, I just fill it up, up, up to the very top, to the brim, to the brim. It's just, it's just right there. It's just, and then I try to walk over to the table. <laughs> huh? Are you with me? 
yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then you know, inevitably it spills. This is hot on my fingers, holding the cup, right? And it makes me want to drop the cup, but that's not going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so precious coffee drips on, on my dress shoes and then on, on, on the floor, and I set it on the table, and it leaves a ring, okay? Ah, it's overflowing. It's abundant. Imagine having so much love brim, brimming over that you're always spilling it. He's getting love all over everywhere. Okay? I think that's the idea that Paul is getting at. But you can't manufacture that on your own. See, we need Christ. And, and that's what Paul wants in his prayers for them. He wants the love of Christ in them to spill out more and more through them. He's not praying for euphoric feelings. He's praying for sober love that looks out for the other. See, And, and so, in order for this to happen, let's keep reading. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, one clue would be if we inserted the opposite traits, all right? May your love abound in all ignorance and stupidity. Okay, you're getting the point now, aren't you? Right? May, may your love abound in all shallow sentimentality and naivety. Oh, now we know. Paul is praying that God grant the Philippians an informed intelligent and insightful love by knowledge in verse 9 paul means an acknowledgement of truth revealed truth not concocted truth not my truth capital t truth a truth grounded in reality jesus christ said father your word is truth knowledge by all discernment, all discernment. Paul means not merely knowing the difference between right and wrong, but applying the right and wrong. The skill of applying the right and the wrong. The skill of listening. The skill of thinking. The skill of processing and questioning. It's a discernment that operates throughout the rough and tumble of everyday relationships, everyday headlines, everyday temptations. Deep discernment leads to deep love. We need that, don't we? Because our culture today is influenced by a very secular saying. You're going to probably read it this week or hear it this week. It's a very secular saying. Love is love. Love is love. A saying that seems to validate any expression of love. In other words, I am free to decide who or what I want to love. I have the agency and the authority to choose whom or what to love, and that choice in itself makes it good and right because I have that right. It's what I desire. My love desires make whatever I love moral. And the Apostle Paul would disagree. And he, frankly, he would call that flabby love. 
He would call that love without bones. He would call that mushy, squishy, jellyfish love. Uh, one, one commentary called it sloppy agape. <laughs> yeah. But Paul is arguing for a love that thinks, a love that reasons, a love that discerns, a love with an all-pervading perception. So, church family, Christian love feels and thinks. Christian love expresses emotion and possesses insight. See, So, so I see two extremes to avoid in verse 9. On one hand, we must refrain from love without knowledge, a love that is allergic to difficult questions or one that craves human approval. Paul says that's not love. That's not agape love. It's not agape love. And on the other hand, we want to avoid knowledge without love. See, See, knowledge without love makes you a Pharisee and a legalist. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Knowledge without love breeds arrogance. Knowledge without love makes you someone who thinks a lot about love without getting around to actually loving. It makes you a hearer of the word instead of a doer of the word. It, it, makes, you someone, it makes you someone who reads a lot about prayer but never actually prays. Love and knowledge. In that order, too. Do you see that? In that order. So, so we'd expect Paul to say that to know you more, God, is to love you more. But Paul knows that love, Christian love, Christ's love, is, is a gift to the heart. And it's a disposition of the heart. That's why he talks about your affections, your desires. My desire to love leads to my curiosity and fascination and yearning to know you more and more. And oh, church family, when these two come together, when they marry, when there's a wedding of love and knowledge and insight, oh, then they, they just complement each other and fill each other, and deeper love leads to deeper thinking and deeper perceiving, which leads to deeper love, and there's just this growing cycle of just beautiful, insightful love, loving insight, and, and, and what is the result? What's the result? Well, the result is a loving life becomes a discerning life. So you see, verse 9 is not an end in itself. It's a means to the end. That's why verse 10 says, so that, so that, so that you may approve what is excellent. That word approve. We circled the word abound. What's the word approve mean? It means to test or discern or to determine uh, what is excellent. In other words, to determine that which is superb. So God does not want his people to, to merely be able to choose between the good and the bad. M most of our decisions, most of the decisions that you made last week and that you will be making this week, 
most of the decisions that we make in our lives go beyond is this good or is this bad. Rather, they involve choosing the better out of the good and the best out of the better. You see that? Should I buy this car? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I have this procedure or that procedure to address my cancer? So so most of our daily decisions are wisdom decisions. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing? Oh, James chapter 1 promises if we ask God for wisdom, He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. Our only stipulation is that we ask in faith, meaning we pre-commit to fully submitting to what it is God's wisdom dictates because God is no consultant. I know some people dear to this church family who could use our prayers for their for loving insight leading to discerning love in what is best. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, Michelle Santiago and Lisa Sheltra from our church were on their way to Ecuador for a site visit to encourage our missionaries there, Robbie and Stephanie Watson. And while Michelle and Lisa were waiting in Houston for their flight to Ecuador, uh, they were called by the Watsons. So they're waiting for the connecting flight. And um, the Watsons said, look, here's what's happening. Uh, and to compress a long story, right? Um, so due to gang violence in Ecuador, their president ordered the armed forces to restore order. Uh, a couple of gang leaders had escaped from jail. Uh, prison guards were held hostage. I mean, this just kind of quickly uh, just kind of went out of control. And explosive devices were set off in a number of cities across the country. In the most dramatic attack, a group of gunmen forced their way into the studios of uh, a television in uh, in Guayaquil, which is um, Ecuador's capital, and they tried to force one of the presenters to read out a message live on the air. And um, Michelle and Lisa did not get on that plane to Ecuador, okay? Uh, And uh, our missionaries live about a seven-hour drive uh, away from... uh, Uh, Guayaquil but here is a prayer request from the Watsons uh, who live in in Quito Uh, you can pray for the government as they figure out how to best handle the situation Uh, they said many schools are back in session where the government has deemed it safe or where the school was able to meet certain security measures our kids went back to school yesterday However, things in coastal cities are still aren't as settled. So you can pray for those regions. Pray for the families who have their children at home, meaning that the parents can't always be going to work, so they're missing out on much-needed income. And the children have now missed out two and a half weeks of school. You can also pray for the comfort to the hearts of parents whose children have returned, knowing that now there's some risk. And then, and then pray for peace in the prisons for the young men in the gangs 
who have joined because they feel like they have no choice. So imagine being you know, in a state where you've, you've got to choose which gang you're going to belong to or you're in trouble. Uh, but they're not the only family that we want to remember in prayer. That, that, that God would grant them, what are we praying for? We're, we're praying for loving discernment so that they would be able to, to make wise decisions in the moment. Okay? Um, we are also supporting a pastor in Russia, the Fermanovs. And here is some words that we got from the Fermanovs that I want to share with you. When the war began, all five of us got in, insistent invitations from our friends worldwide to help us get out of here. And my wife and I instantly knew that we were called to stay. But our adult daughters, uh, we asked them whether they felt led to leave Russia in search of more safety and security. And all three of them said firmly that for the time, they believe that God was calling them to stay. And they did not sense God's will to be anywhere else. Now, you know, that may change. But that's where they are right now. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for them, the Fermanovs. Oh, and then, do you know, our church also supports um, a Ukrainian couple in Kiev, Oleksiy and Lena, who are, who are ministering to the soldiers on the front line. And, and here is a note that we received from them uh, just around Christmas time. Dear brothers and sisters from Windsor Road Christian Church, Merry Christmas. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you for praying for us, supporting our ministry financially, and encouraging us during this dark time um, for us. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your heart for us and for Ukraine. We can serve because you faithfully serve us. Wow. And so again, our prayer is, God, give them loving hearts that would lead to discerning hearts so that they'll know the best of the better of the good. All right? That's, and, and none of these folks have asked us to give them money so that they can leave their post, which they said God has called them. What they're asking for is persevering faith and discerning love so that they can do the work where they believe God has called them. They're, they're asking God to help them. They're asking God to help them be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves so that they can be the presence of Jesus where they are. Okay? Paul does not ask the Philippians that God would change his own circumstance. As you will recall, he's in prison in Rome. He just wants the gospel to go out, however it takes, however it takes. To what end? Well, let's keep reading. So that their loving lives might be integrated with discerning lives, resulting in righteous lives. You see that? And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
So Paul prays for real moral change that results in a Christ-like life. He's praying for that which is pure and blameless. And and so that doesn't mean that we attain the state of sinlessness. That's not going to happen this side of heaven. But what it means is that we, we refuse to be polluted by the world. And so Paul prays that these Philippians who in all likelihood number between 50 and 100. That's, that's Bible scholars' best guess. He's praying that, that these 50 to 100 remain unpolluted by a culture of 15,000, representing the most powerful empire on earth. He wants them to conduct themselves in a way that, that shows a more attractive alternative. Pure and blameless means they're not going to coddle sin. And they're going to actively pursue Christ. And again, you know, Paul's teasing us with what's to come in chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to obtain for the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So so Paul says, I'm praying that God would fill you to brimming with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul is not praying, God, I ask you to help me try harder. That's not the prayer. The prayer is, God, fill me with the righteousness of your holy son, Jesus Christ, so that the moral quality of my life will make others curious about who you are. Can we ask God for that? God, I don't want to be half full. God, make me zealous through your son. Titus 2, 14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God, I I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. God, make me an orchard. Make me heavy with ripe, sweet, tasty, branch-bending fruit. I don't want to be the vinegar of righteousness. I don't want to be the pungent stink of righteousness. Oh, God. Jesus did not die on the cross to merely just forgive my sins. He died and rose to fill us with fruit. Pleasant to the tongue, nourishing, satisfying truth. Fruit such that we become a resource. We become a resource to our meandering world and this jesus enabled fruit enables us to live here it is verse 11 a god glorifying life to the glory and praise of god in other words god reveals his glory god reveals his glory and we reply with praise in that order in that order glory comes first followed by praise. We don't praise up some glory. God, in His goodness, reveals His glory, and we respond in praise. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. Man, what a prayer, church. 
I pray to our gracious Heavenly Father that you might have a loving life blended with a discerning life, resulting in a righteous life, leading to a God-glorifying life. There it is. There it is. That's the big idea. That's it. Now, 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 before we get to praying, and we're going to pray here in just a minute, why did Paul tell the Philippians what he was praying instead of just praying for them? Could it be that he wanted them to act out the miracle that God was doing in and through them? Could it be that he wants them to participate in what God is going to do? Later on, Paul will say in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. What a mystery. That's a mystery. It's a miracle. God, by working in us, makes us work. God, by initiating movement, has commanded that movement be continued. Get involved with what God is doing because he is the de decisive doer. We act out the miracle. God has filled us with love, now love. And you know what? Listen, God answered that prayer for these Philippians. And you know how I know that? Because we're here, that's why. That Roman Empire is in ruins. This gleaming colony of Philippi had within it implanted a colony of heaven. And the colony of heaven still lives. And so Paul's prayer starts with God, and then it concludes with the glory and praise to God. Paul, Paul, Paul prays, God, please enable this church to praise God. Please help me praise you. Give me what it takes to glorify you. <laughs> Augustine put it this way. Command what you will. Supply what you command. So I'm ready to pray. Anybody here need faith to see beyond your circumstances? Anybody here need some divine intervention? Anybody here need discernment for a difficult situation? I want the band to come on up here now, please. You need victory for some besetting sin? You need wisdom for a tough decision you have to make? Every one of these decisions, every one of these decisions happen after prayer. There's a lot of things that you can do to fix your situation. But there's nothing you can do to fix a situation until you pray. So whatever it is you need God to do in your life, it happens after prayer.